Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. As the year comes to a close, our staff is writing about our favorite sports moments of 2019. Jason Concepcion explains the year in 10 pieces of pop culture, and we break down the last 10 years of the Marvel Universe. Also, ahead of the new Star Wars movie coming out next week, the staff's discussing Baby Yoda, Rise of Skywalker romances, and what the Resistance will do if they win. You can check this all out on TheRinger.com. Hello and welcome to the Ringer MLB show. My name is Michael Bauman and I am a staff writer at the Ringer. Uh, I'm joined as always by Zach Cram. Hello. And Ben Lindbergh. Hi. Ringer MLB show is a daily podcast. I was going to say, we said we were going to come back when there was news and I expected it to be more than 24 hours before there were more news. Uh, We're here to break down the Marlins selection of Sterling Sharp. Uh, Nationals prospect in the Rule 5 draft and also talk about the third big free agent domino all in a week, all during the winter meetings. Uh, Anthony Rendon signs with the Los Angeles Angels, formerly of Anaheim, uh, for seven years, $245 million. I guess this time I wrote the transaction uh, analysis, but uh, I got to toss it to one of you guys. So, Ben, what do you make of this this signing? Well, we didn't even have time to write our what do the Angels do now that they didn't sign Garrett Cole posts before they made up for it by signing another superstar. So obviously, if you're going to look for a consolation prize for missing out on your top pitcher target, then the top hitter available is a pretty good way to go. And Anthony Rendon is obviously however you slice it over the course of his career or even more over the past three years, four years, whatever time frame you use. He's one of the five best position players in baseball, probably 10 best players in baseball. So it doesn't mean that the Angels are done. They still have a lot of work to do because they don't really have a pitching staff you can count on. But wins are wins and adding Rendon is a a huge upgrade. So there's more for them to do. But I think we can now start to at least dream about the Angels becoming contenders in 2020 with one more move or two. Zach, how about you? Yeah, basically, it's not that hard to look at the Angels roster now and see their strengths and weaknesses. According to Fangraph's projections, uh, the Angels now project with the second most batting war of any team in baseball. And that's getting basically nothing from Joe Adele, their top prospect, who was probably going to join Mike Trout in the outfield this season. According to Fangraph's, the Angels have the second best lineup behind only Houston, But the pitching staff ranks uh, in the bottom 10 alongside basically a bunch of teams that don't expect to compete next year. So the same things we were saying on yesterday's pod about what the Angels need to do pitching wise still apply. But certainly Rendon makes their lineup better, makes their defense better and comes at a time when Mike Trout, as you wrote, Mike, basically has never played with anyone as good as Rendon is now. Yeah, that sort of caught me off guard. Uh that concept when when we were talking about it but yeah i did like the play index search and since trout's debut rendon uh was i mean this is using baseball reference war so i'm sure this comes out different uh according to what flavor of of war you use or whatever evaluative evaluative tactics uh, you have but rendon was a 6.3 win player last year the only position player the angels have had since trout's debut to put up a season that good was andrelton simmons Uh, in 2017 the only pitcher to do that was Jared Weaver in 2011 when Trout was only kind of a, a big leaguer uh, anyway. So, you know, the the pitching staff, I think, 
as bad as it was last year, that might overstate. And I, I know, like I wrote about this, I said this on the on the podcast yesterday. Taking a deeper look, it's not a total disaster area because you get Otani back. Griffin Canning's going to be in the big leagues full time. I think Andrew Haney and Dylan Bundy are as much as they've struggled to get guys out and stay healthy earlier in their careers. I think they've sort of settled down as as solid mid rotation types. You know, maybe number four starters. You still need another solid arm like i don't i don't know if i don't know how far a rotation with griffin canning is your your second best pitcher or dylan bundy is your second best pitcher is going to get you i don't know how how many innings they can they can count on otani for this year like i doubt very much he's going to throw 210 220 innings uh just because they're going to be cautious on him uh on his first full season back from from tommy john so there's still a ton of holes to fill but you know like you guys said you look at that Trout, Rendon, Joe Adele, Shohei Otani in the lineup. Like you're in business. You can figure you can figure the rest out later. Yeah. And the Angels have been probably the most watchable, mediocre to bad team in baseball over the past few years. So I've you certainly keep watched... saying that. I remember you saying this on Effectively Wild last year. Yeah, and I think Sam and Meg yelled at you for <laughs> they did. But, like I remember I, doing a double take when I, I heard that. So I this is it. not I mean, a majority opinion. I don't maybe think. it's just me. I don't know. I guess it is. I've watched much more Angels baseball than I have comparable teams over that period just because I want to see Trout, I want to see Otani, I want to see Andrelton and now you can add Rendon to that quartet. And I don't know that that gets them there. It would be extra sad if the Angels now added another incredible player and, and somehow managed to miss the playoffs. But I think it sort of fits like Rendon is he's kind of a trout type player in the sense that he is not the most demonstrative. He is not the most outspoken. He is a better quote. He's sort of sneaky funny. And uh, occasionally he he will add some humor in a way that Trout doesn't often. But he's not the most eye-catching player at first glance. You wouldn't necessarily watch one game of Anthony Rendon and typically think, oh, this guy's got the most incredible tools. He's one of the best players in baseball. But he is so well-rounded. He's good at everything. He has that Trout-type combination of elite plate discipline and power, and he's become more and more of a power hitter. And so you look at that lineup and they have Trout, they have Rendon, they have Upton, of course, they have David Fletcher, who's sort of obviously not in the same class, but sort of similar in that he too is someone who will walk almost as much as he strikes out, if not more. So there's a lot of discipline there. And Rendon, I think, obviously, there was a time where he was sort of seen as injury prone. And, you know, he's not necessarily an Ironman, but he hasn't had a, a serious injury in years now. That's not really a, a concern for him. And you look around this infield and granted, they still need a catcher. So we'll see what they do there. But if you have Andrelton Simmons at short and Fletcher at second and Rendon at third, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good start. And obviously, we talked about how they have tried to assemble contenders in the past and they've made major moves in the past and it hasn't worked out. So Two years ago, we were talking about, oh, boy, they went and got Zach Cozart, and then they got Ian Kinsler, and they got Martin Maldonado, and it looked like this elite defensive infield, and that just didn't really pan out, but maybe this time it will. And from the offense's perspective, I mean, we talk a lot about the Angels pitching for good reason, but it's not like the offense was fine without an upgrade. When the Angels made the playoffs the only time in the Mike Trout era, that was 2014. They had 98 wins, and they led the major leagues in runs per game. 
Uh, they had nine, all nine of their starters were above average hitters, but that was with like Albert Pujols still uh, close to his prime, Josh Hamilton, and they haven't had a single season in the top half of the league and runs since then. They've been below average or exactly league average every year since. So Rendon certainly boosts the offense there, and they kind of need that. In addition, the idea that you need a perfect balance between offense and pitching isn't exactly right because uh, batters generally hit better with runners on base. So if you put someone like Mike Trout on base ahead of Rendon, that actually increases the run scoring by even more than you would expect just by putting names on a page. Uh, So I think that's helpful. And then from the pitching perspective, I mean, they missed out on Cole, they missed out on Strasburg, but a lot of these next level guys who are still left are ground ball pitchers. Mike, you mentioned in your piece, someone like Dallas Keuchel, even Wade Miley, who struggled down the stretch, but was pretty good for Houston last year. And the Angels could use a ground ball pitcher now that they have Simmons and Fletcher and Rendon on the infield. Yeah, I mean, that's by no means uh, an original opinion on my part, but it seems like an obvious conclusion to draw. There are a couple things about this uh, this offense that uh, sort of intrigue me because I think we could tra- count we can trout on trout. We can count on trout and Rendon and Otani probably to produce. But a couple of these big names, Andrew Lynn Simmons had his worst uh, offensive season in a couple of, couple of years last year. He was hurt on and off. Uh, same thing with Justin Upton, who only played sixty three games. You know, I it's not a hundred percent that both of those guys come back and mash. So I think that's something that we need to work into into the calculus. But at the same time. Um, you know, Ben, you mentioned David Fletcher. I look at him and I look at this lineup and I think of Ben Revere with the 2015, was it 2015? He was on the blue Jays or 2016 15. where 15, uh, he like, they had just eight unbelievable hitters or they had Batista Donaldson and Encarnacion and so on down the lineup, but they had Revere hitting leadoff. Uh, just because it just didn't matter if he didn't hit for any power it, as just as long as he got on base. And I could see, um, see Fletcher getting on base and just in front of like a, a, a Rendon Otani trap two, three, four or something like that and scoring 115 runs. And that's, I think that's a, a good way to construct the lineup. You know, here we are talking about David Fletcher on the, the day that he gets moved across the diamond and so on. But I'd like to point out, I talked up David Fletcher at I know some you point mid season and you made fun of me, but David Fletcher according to fan graphs, was worth 3.4 war this year, which was the same total as all-stars like Justin Turner and Jose Altuve and Jose Ramirez. Uh, that's besides the point. I, I think also Tommy LaStella was really good for yeah. half a season uh, before getting injured and curious to see if those gains hold up because then you can improve a couple lineup spots. You have depth. You have particularly depth on the days that uh, Otani can't hit uh, either because he's pitching the next day, or if Joe Madden doesn't follow through and actually hit Otani on the days he's pitching. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we're mostly on the same page, except you just compared Fletcher to to Jose Ramirez <laughs> and Jose Altuve, and I compared him to Ben Revere. Um, so <laughs> the one guy, I guess, Zach, you mentioned him once, Albert Pujols. How much, how much should he play? How much will he play? I mean, he's played a lot. Probably more than you would expect. He's had at least uh, 498 plate appearances every year since 2013. You know, he, I think there are moments where you look at he has a hot week or something and you think, oh, he's actually doing okay now. And then you look at his season long number and see that 
as a very slow first baseman slash DH, he's had a significantly below average batting line for three years in a row. And I don't know at what point they either decide to cut bait or actually bench him for good for a while, but you have to imagine that on days where Otani's hitting, their best lineup will probably include Otani at DH, and then the infield has Rendon, Simmons, Fletcher, and Lastella at first. And it's strange that I'm talking about how Tommy Lastella is a considerable offensive upgrade over Pujols, who's one of the greatest hitters I've ever seen. But at some point, if you're the Angels and you want to contend for a playoff spot, you can't continue playing this below replacement level player for 130 games a year. Yeah, I'm also really interested to see just what they get out of Otani or what they try to get out of Otani, because that makes a big difference. I mean, if he's someone who's going to be taking the ball at least once a week or something, as he was in his rookie year, then, you know, that's a major acquisition. That's like signing a, a top of the rotation starter, essentially. But his innings totals for the past three years, zero last year, 51 and two thirds in 2018 and 25 and a third in 2017. So he hasn't had a heavy workload as a pitcher since 2016. And he's never been above about 160 innings because the NPB season is shorter and he was very young at the time. So it's not as if he's ever been a workhorse. And because of the two-way thing and the fact that he's going to be DHing at times, they're just naturally careful with him. Plus, he's coming off the injury and he should be back to full strength, but they'll still want to be careful with him. And so, I don't know, do you count on 100 innings or hope for 100 innings from him and you're happy with that? Or do you try to push him farther? I mean, it really makes a difference because of the weakness and the thinness of the rest of that staff and the fact that in his absence last year, and of course with uh, Tyler Skaggs's passing, the bullpen pitched many more innings than the rotation did for the Angels last year. And I'll be curious to see if they try to do that again with a better bullpen, perhaps, or whether they do have one or maybe two more moves in them now. I think they're at an estimated total of about $177 million right now for 2020. So depending on how adventurous Artie Marino is feeling, there is room there to add another solid starting pitcher or two without even going above the competitive balance tax threshold. Not that that threshold is lava that you can't touch or anything, but teams seem to treat it that way. Yeah, I, I think like this is another situation where like with the Zach Wheeler signing and some of the, the stuff that were with the, the Nationals even or the Red Sox um, or all the, the trades that we were talking about yesterday um, on our second emergency podcast out of three in three days uh, that we have to have some sort of rhetorical shorthand for we know the competitive balance tax threshold is bullshit, but teams are going to treat it like, like you said, Ben, like it's made of lava. Mm -hmm. And I think if the angels are going to compete in the short term, they need to, they need to say, screw the tax. I mean, they just have so many holes. They've had so many, you know, I, I feel for Artie Moreno and and Angels management on one level because they've tried so many things that it feels like one of them ought to have worked by now, yeah. but they're they're still reeling from from the pool hole signing that didn't really work. And obviously they got off of uh off the, the Cozart contract, but it cost them a first round draft pick essentially. And so just they've been playing catch up in one way or another for for I don't know, really the entire decade, really since Trout came up. And uh and that has left them in a little bit of a precarious financial position where 
you know, even even with the Astros in the division and even with pretty solid Rays and A's teams uh, going after the wild card, uh, like you could see the path to the playoffs. They just need it's for want of a couple good big leaguers and you can get those guys on the free agent market or get those guys in trade market like they don't it, it's just going to put them over the tax i think that's just the they can do it but they have to spend and uh you know it's it's going to be a matter of, of willingness i think uh one thing the interesting thing that that has been coming up i think jeff fletcher of the orange county register has been been beating this drum uh the uh angels are pursuing Corey Kluber in a trade. Those rumors are back, and now we've got a specific destination. Uh, my analysis of that is Corey Kluber's really good, and if they can get him, he solves a lot of their problems. I agree with that analysis. Zach, Corey Kluber, yes? <laughs> He's pretty good. I am curious what they would give up for him because Joe Adele, I don't think, would be traded for anyone, basically, and I'm not sure if the Angels have the prospect depth to make that work according to uh, the fan rankings I'm looking at. They only have one other player in the top 100 and he's all the way at 74. So maybe, you know, they have a lot of position players now signed to long-term contracts. So you can deal with some of that depth. I'm just not sure if they have like the top guy to get something like that done. Uh, one name I talked about yesterday, and I'm not sure if it's still an option now that they're paying Anthony Rendon, but if the Red Sox want to get out from under David Price's contract, I felt like the Angels could be a decent destination there. Uh, one other name I'm curious about uh, is Madison Bumgarner, who we've seen connected to the other LA team, the Dodgers, uh, but I don't think there have been that many other teams uh, that have been in discussion about signing him. And I think Bumgarner is maybe being a bit overlooked next to all the other big name pitchers and i've been critical of how he's developed as he's gotten a little older and gives up a lot of hard contact but he's still a mighty good pitcher and certainly would give the innings uh that a staff like the angels needs i'm just thinking about the risk of signing Bumgarner is he and trout go on a hunting expedition and just <laughs> never bother to come back and report to camp um yeah th so the the point about the farm system i you know, it's not as bad as it was a couple years ago. The there were like it there was like a shorthand. The Angels are just rock bottom farm system, and that's not the case anymore. Obviously, they don't trade Adele for Kluber. But I think the the good thing about trading for Kluber now, considering that like he came off a essentially an injury right off season, it's gonna take a lot less. And he's a year older than he was last offseason when those uh when those trade rumors first started to crop up. So it's not gonna like it might have taken maybe not a Dell, but like a top, uh, a package headlined by a top 40, top 50 prospect to get him. I don't necessarily know that that's the case anymore, particularly considering that Cleveland is just running away from even modest financial commitments. You know, we saw they, they dumped, uh, you know, I, I think they, they made a good trade, uh, for Trevor or getting rid of Trevor Bauer, but they're trading away the core of that team that, that won 20 odd in a row and, and went to the world series. And so, you know, maybe, like maybe a Brandon Marsh package gets you gets you Corey Kluber now just because Cleveland is that uninterested in winning. And obviously, like we talked about this with the the Cole signing, it takes probably the best pitcher away from one of the teams that the Angels would need to compete against for a playoff spot. So I if they can if they can pull that off, I think that's a a really solid that would be a really solid piece of business. Uh 
you know, giving up pretty much anything in their farm system up to Adele. Uh, with that said, with the Angels' luck, you know, Kluber's arm would fall off, and and we'd never hear from him again. But you know, it's that's the the kind of deal they need to be making, like to to take advantage of of competitive what other competitive teams seem to be doing, which is just shedding salary to to put the best team they can together for one hundred ninety million dollars, and not you know not exceeding or getting close to the luxury tax is more important. Uh, than winning for a lot of teams. If the Angels remove that restriction, they could take advantage of a lot of uh, a lot of teams that are selling when they really shouldn't. Although at the same time, they just made that Cozart trade. So who knows what they will do? Should we talk about the spurned suitors for Rendon who now yeah. have to look for some other options? So obviously the Nationals will now have to replace one of their best players. It sounded like the Dodgers and the Rangers were the most in on Rendon as free agent. So if you were going to do a winners and losers of the winter meetings, I suppose you'd have to put the Dodgers on the losers list just because they missed out on their big quarry. They obviously were going after Cole. They were going after Rendon. They didn't land either of those guys. And I don't know if that's just a reflection of the fact that the Dodgers are in a pretty good position as it is. They have a, a great base of young talent and also veteran talent. And it would have required some moving players around for them to make room for Rendon. They would have had to shift Turner across the infield, and then that would have limited their defensive versatility a little bit. Turner's defensive stats did slip a little this past season, so maybe that wouldn't have been a bad thing, and maybe that was why they were interested in considering it. But that didn't work out, and now I guess all of these teams will turn their attention to Josh Donaldson, who is now about to be the most popular player on the market. And given how the rest of this market has proceeded, we might be talking about a Josh Donaldson signing tomorrow. (laughs) Who knows? But he's not a a bad fallback plan. Obviously, he's much older and and won't be signed to the same sort of long-term deal. But for 2020 only, it's not a tremendous step down for whichever team settles for him. Yeah, I'm not so sure that this is terrible for the Dodgers. Like, I understand the reasoning that a team with their finances should be able to spend above the luxury tax line. And I'm certainly sympathetic to that argument. I'm certainly sympathetic to fans who want a World Series title. But the Dodgers aren't really in the position that the Angels were. And even like the Astros we talked about yesterday, and we were really curious about where they're going to go next for their rotation, because by the end of last season, the Astros basically had three pitchers and they lost one of them. The Dodgers aren't in that case, particularly on offense. If you ignore pitchers uh, to like put the AL and NL on equal footing, the Dodgers have had either the best or second best lineup in the league three years in a row, and they didn't lose any pieces from it this winter. They still have Cody Bellinger. They still have Max Muncie. They still have everyone else who made the lineup last year so great, who helped them to win over 100 games. They uh, had 106 wins and were even better than that if you look at their underlying record. So I think they might need a pitching upgrade with Ryu and Rich Hill leaving, but they also have a lot of depth there. And I'm just not convinced that they needed someone of Rendon's caliber, particularly given the infielders they already have. I agree. And I think they're in a in a solid position in uh, if they want to make an addition via trade. Uh, there was a, a rumor I saw uh, Lindor to the Dodgers for Gavin Lux and Dustin May. Like They could do that, even though their farm system is not what it was a couple years ago with the promotions of guys like, you know, dating all the way back to Bellinger, but like uh, Bellinger and, uh, and 
Corey Seager, but you know, they promoted Will Smith. They promoted Lux got a little bit of, of a run in the majors last year. Um, Walker Bueller's up now, May's up now, and but they've still got that that base of young talent that they could go out and get somebody like Lindor if they wanted to. Um, they've they've still got a lot of options. The one guy, a uh, weirdly, I think a winner of this is Donaldson because of the way that this shook out. Uh, the the timing of it, he is essentially like the free agent bat right now. And because not only is Rendon off the market, it's this is not like ticking down one, two, three the way the way the pitching market has. Yeah, uh Grandal's off the market. Didi Gregorius signed this week. Um Mustakas is off the market where Brett Gardner's is going back to to the Yankees. Like if you want a veteran position player, particularly on the dirt, there is only one way to go. And I think there, the number of teams that sort of, that didn't get their guy, uh, gives, uh, uh gives Donaldson, I think a lot of leverage. I think he's in a really good spot right now. Yeah. And uh, it kind of reminds me of last winter where people were mad at the Dodgers for not signing Bryce Harper, for instance, and the big move they made was signing AJ Pollock and it seemed somewhat underwhelming, but then they went out and they won 106 games and yes, they had an early exit from the playoffs, but you know, that easily could have gone the other way if Dave Roberts had made some different moves or not made those moves at all. So it's hard to have been a better team than the 2019 Dodgers. So they were somewhat vindicated in that approach. At the same time, I was still curious to see if we would see them land one of the the big boys because we just haven't seen Friedman do that really. I think Pollock is the biggest expenditure he has made on a free agent who was not re-signing with the Dodgers on an outside player. So whether it's because he's kind of conditioned to operate the way he did with the Rays or because they just have such a, a great base of talent that they haven't really had the urgency to go out and sign the top player available. They haven't done that. They haven't handed out the enormous deal in the way that other teams have. And and you can't say it has really hurt them unless you think that that was the thing that was keeping them from going to you know a, a championship parade instead of losing in game seven of the World Series or something, which is a, a difficult argument to make. Yeah, it's hard to, I mean, you just look at the I, I sort of roll my eyes when like the Red Sox talk about sustainability, but the the Dodgers have really just rolled this machine over you know, for yeah. seven you know seven division titles, two pennants, two hundred win seasons. You know they've uh, and and I think they're they're set up just fine for the future, even with the the Padres improving and sort of breathing down their neck. Um, you know, the National League's probably going to get a little bit tougher in the the next couple of years, but yeah, I I I a hundred percent understand the frustration. Yeah, I think they had the capacity to to add one of these top three top three free agents, but yeah, I, I think like the Angels in particular just needed Rendon more, and uh, and I, yeah, that made the difference. You saw them going an extra year compared to the Rangers, uh, giving them more money up front than the Nationals did. Yeah, I think this is just a situation where the team that wanted the player the most got the player because mm-hmm. that that want uh, you know inspired them to. To, to stretch themselves in the way, and, you know, and that's the way free agency ought to work. 
Mm-hmm. And the Dodgers have resisted the urge to make the splashy trade in the past, too, when they had the option to, say, trade Seeger, Bellinger, Bueller, any of their top prospects for some veteran at the time. They didn't do that, and they kept them, and I think they're happy to have done that in the long run. And now they have this new wave of young players who established themselves in 2019 and could be good for years to come. So they're in a pretty enviable position, even without making the big move this week. But I don't know if we have any other specific reactions to this transaction, but we should probably talk about just big picture this week as a whole, right? And just what happened, (laughs) what is going on with this market, which I know we've already discussed, but it gets more perplexing by the day because, again, we're coming off two off seasons when the market was just slow moving. Things didn't get done until spring if they got done at all. And here we've gone polar opposite, other end of the spectrum. Everything is happening really fast, even more so than we would have expected before 2017. And yet at the same time, you have all these kind of conflicting signals where you have the most non-tenders ever and teams treating those players as disposable and a certain class of player not really finding a home in this market, like Adam Jones, for instance, who just signed a deal to go play in Japan. And then at the same time as you have teams shelling out, spending lots of money on these great players, you also have teams dangling equally great players, Carlos Correa and Mookie Betts and Chris Bryant and Francisco Lindor. How are both of these things happening at the same time? It is very confusing. I don't know exactly what to make of all of this, except that Scott Boris is a legend and he had heck of a week. Yeah, I, I meant to put that in my Rendon thing, and because I was writing it in the middle of the night, I forgot. But he negotiated something like eight hundred million dollars worth of contracts <laughs> yep. in three and a half days. Mm-hmm. Man, I, I mean, there's a reason he's the best in the business. Yeah, what he's been doing this legend. for decades. Like he represented. The I don't first... remember baseball before Scott Boris. No, I mean, like, was, there, we weren't was around. He Maddox's <laughs> agent when he signed with the Braves. Like that was one of the first big free agencies. That he, he was Kevin Brown's, right? Yes, he yeah, was Kevin Brown's Kevin agent Brown. when he became the first hundred million guy. He was A Rod's agent when he became the first two hundred million dollar guy, and then he was Harper's agent when he became the first to go over three hundred. And now, of course, he's Cole's agent when he becomes the first pitcher to go over that milestone. It's just decades and the game keeps changing around him and owners come and go and front offices operate completely differently from how they did in the 90s. But one way or another, Scott Boris gets players paid and still finds time for extremely elaborate ornithological analogies. Just so so we don't get emails about this, Harper wasn't the first $300 million player, but it was the contract. over 300, yeah. Well, well, technically the Stanton contract. Oh, yes. Free agent, yeah. Yeah, that was like that contract was obviously like traced along the out outlines of, of whatever it would take to make it the richest contract ever at the mm-hmm. time. But yeah, I mean, Boris has been doing, I, just like we said, he's been doing this as, as long as we can remember. He still looks the same too. <laughs> yeah. I kind of, there's, I've, there's a picture of Scott Boris up in the attic where he's getting <laughs> poorer over the course of, of years. But yeah, I, I, fl- I floated this theory on effectively well, and I don't know if I buy it or not, but could it be that, The fact that Machado lingered on the market until late February and Harper didn't sign until March, 
could that have been because a i've seen some players some people suggest well the free agents are just better this year and these are more appealing players and and i get that in a sense like harper wasn't i coming on the thing the thing is both of those players were like incredibly appealing players and machado was coming off a really great year harper not so much but of course he had that in his not too distant past and the thing is that they were both really young for free agents and that should have made them more appealing, but part of me wonders whether that made it more complicated to sign them because you had to figure out what a deal would look like for a free agent of that level of accomplishment and that age, which we don't usually see. So it was like, well, would they sign a six or seven year contract and still have the chance to sign another long term deal in their 30s? Or do you have to work out a 12 or 13 year deal, which is what ended up happening? And there's so few precedents for that that I could just see that taking longer and teams being more reluctant to commit to a player that long, even if it's not really different from committing to a player who's several years older for several years shorter. But this year, it's sort of the standard, like, well, it's seven-ish years and Cole, of course, got nine. But with Rendon, with Strasburg, you know, it's, it's a little more in the realm of contracts we typically see than last year, which was very unusual players and contracts. That was something something that stood out to the Rendon deal is like there were obvious comps for him yeah. Uh, in recent years with the Arenado contract and the Machado contract. And this seems, you know, pretty much in line with what you would expect that he's, uh, you know, a little bit older than Machado. So he gets a shorter deal for a little more money. Like this is, uh, it just all seemed very reasonable according to precedent. That's, I think, right analysis from the player perspective. I think from the team perspective, Besides Cole, who went to the Yankees, and I guess Strasburg, even though a lot of people thought he would just re-sign with the Nationals, um, basically all of these big contracts have gone to teams that have not been successful in recent years. Rendon going to the Angels, uh, Wheeler and Gregorius going to the Phillies, Grandal going to the White Sox, Moustakas going to the Reds, Pomeranz going to the Padres, so on and so on. You have players signing with teams that aren't tanking like the Tigers and Orioles are like they haven't signed any notable free agents but a lot of those mid-two teams that haven't been successful are the ones making these splashes and conversely the teams that have been successful in recent years the Cubs the Indians the Red Sox even the Astros are the ones floating trading their star players so I wonder if there's some sort of cyclical nature here where teams might be more okay with spending if it can help them win uh, but once you've already won, then it's okay. We won for that year. Now let's make some more money. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that is proven or just looking at kind of uh, confirmation bias in a small sample. But if you go down the list of free agents sorted by average annual value signed this year, you get a lot of non-playoff teams, the ones I mentioned, and you just keep going down. The Rangers uh, have signed a few pitchers. Uh, the Giants have even made some additions. And I think it's a reminder that it's good when more than like five teams are actually trying to win and say what you want about the tanking teams. Like, I think it's absolutely terrible that the Orioles decided they weren't going to pay Jonathan VR. But when you have like 20 teams or whatever, the number is actually like trying to be somewhat competitive and emerge from rebuilding cycles. I think that opens up the market a bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, so my take on this is, this seems like rational response to to incentives. Um, and, you know, maybe it, it took a little while in the post-process Astros or, or Cubs tank um, 
a situation for teams to figure out how to behave. So there are two aspects to that. One is that they're realizing that the maybe they knew this already, but there's a uh, one of my least favorite like logical fallacies that is involved in baseball di- discourse is that the difference between like the best player and the second best player, or the second best player and the third best player is the same as the difference between the 14th and 15th best player. So like you realize that it's, you know, maybe you don't go out and shell out because you like I don't know, Dallas Keuchel more than Cole Hamels or something like that. But you go out and you go get Garrett Cole because you like him more than Steven Strasburg and you like him more than Zach Wheeler. Like it's worth paying that premium at the very, very top of the market. And that, those are the guys that we're seeing getting paid. But at the same time, they're realizing that, you know, Jonathan VR is interchangeable. It's not necessarily worth it to, to pay him an extra couple million when you can go out and get some other, you know, some other middle infielder, and it doesn't matter at all if you if you're committed to losing, uh, you know, 110 games anyway. And the other rational part of this is that it's a broken system. That the incentive structure, the payment structure, is based on behavior and and uh, and baseball philosophy from at least 20 years ago, maybe as as far back as 40 years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's just we're going to get perverse incentives in a structure that is just not designed to keep up with the way that baseball works right now. And beyond that, because of because so much of the money in baseball is not tied to attendance or local uh, local interests that it's locked into TV contracts, there's no real financial incentive to win 85 games and miss the playoffs instead of 50 and miss the playoffs if you're if you can run a rock bottom payroll. You could just essentially you know, if you're going to run $150 million payroll to miss playoffs by a couple games, then it makes way more sense to run a $50 million payroll and miss playoffs by 40 games. And that's what teams are responding to right now. And mm-hmm. so, it, I mean, it's, I think things are working better within the system, but the system is just completely outmoded. And my concern, not to turn this back into, oh my God, there's going to be another work stoppage, but like we're at a point where the system is just so perverted in and there's no incentive for owners to change it because they're not in it for the sport. They're in it for real estate deals. They're in it for debt service to, to private equity limited partners to, to drive up the, the sale value of the teams. And so like it might take a work stoppage to, to, you know, to, to redistribute, to use a fraught word to redistribute, you know, the to reset the incentives and redistribute the the revenue to the people who are actually producing it, and uh, yeah, I, I think things are to go back to Ben's original point. I think things are working about as well as they can be expected to, given the incentive structure that we've been working under. Yeah, and Manfred came out on Wednesday and he said that there's no need for fundamental changes in the system because of how well it's working this year. And of course, he would say that. Great makes for sense. Rob Manfred. Sure. Yeah, and you know, you would think that the Players Association would not be thinking that, would not be fooled by all of these big deals, and say, "Well, I guess everything's okay. Let's just rubber stamp the CBA." You would hope that they would not take their feet off the pedal if their feet have been on the pedal to begin with and would keep pushing for those fundamental changes because even though things have worked fairly well this winter and certainly better than we all expected, there is still that underlying concern. And I think Zach is right that there's a different composition of teams every offseason and you have teams that are at different points in the wind curve and 
one off season, you may have a bunch of teams that don't think it's worth it for them to make that big move. And maybe a bunch of those teams that were in that part of the cycle are now in the part where they think, okay, it's time to transition to really spending now. Or maybe also you have some teams that were determined to get under the competitive balance tax threshold to reset their tax rates. And then having done that, they now can spend again with the first time tax rates like the Yankees just did. So it could be that, but whatever the reason or reasons, I think it is good that, as Zach said, some of the non-super teams are making these moves because we are coming off a historically lopsided and stratified season where there was just this great gulf between the good teams and the bad teams or really the great teams and the terrible teams. And obviously, Cole going from the Astros to the Yankees doesn't really address that problem, but the Angels signing Rendon or the White Sox signing Grandal, you know, some of these teams that are kind of trying to move up into that competitive tier, actually landing some of the top players available. That's probably going to be a good thing for the game. All right. Uh, Ben, I was going to try to wrap this up about 15 minutes ago, and then you asked an extremely complicated question as like an, <laughs> oh, by the way, and I know you've got to get out of here. So <laughs> yeah, uh, well, it, this it is, seemed if, appropriate. This was quite a week. Yeah, I, huge. I'm Certainly, I didn't expect to do all three of these emergency podcasts in such a short <laughs> period of time. I'll say I'm going on vacation next week. So if Mookie <laughs> Betts get traded, uh, I'm not going to answer the phone. So uh, if that happens, uh, enjoy the Ringer MLB show with Zach and Ben. Um, <laughs> What other news could there be that that we'll reconvene for? So we gotta come back tomorrow and spend forty minutes on Rick Porcello for Bobby. Oh, <laughs> I got this. I got this under control. I'll host that one. Okay, cool. I mean, we could just sort of we could just call Bobby on the phone and and just cyberbully him. And, there are and other ways there. of communicating besides recording and publishing podcasts. <laughs> uh, yeah. So let's bear that in mind. Don't be strangers, and uh, we'll we'll all come back together and record soon. Uh, you know whenever is uh, whatever it's appropriate so thanks for right. for doing yet another one of these in such a short period of time our pleasure <laughs>